Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political simpleton, Kobe Omanaka, and today I'm joined by our political powerhouses, I like alliteration, in Diane and Tatten. Guys, how are you doing and are you licking the wounds from declaring that Liz Truss wasn't going to leave steadfastly last week? I'm not sure I said it, Kobe, so I'm fine. <laughs> I'm a powerhouse, what do I care? It's been declared at the top of this at the top of this program of a powerhouse. Yes, I don't know anything about politics. Yes, I get things wrong. Yes, I'm a national. I mean, I'm not a national laughing stock. Nobody cares. But were people to hear it, they would laugh at me. But I have also been described as a powerhouse this morning, and I'm happy with that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great start to any day, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's touching the fact that look, we 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 record these things. What we talk about is very topical and it changes on a dime. Uh, I don't know why I said, you know, use an American coin there, but it changes very quickly. You know, listen to this as soon as, you, as it comes out to keep as fresh as possible, uh, even though it was stale by the time it gone live last week. No, no, snooze, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get cracking into the first section, guys. Um, this is the top post of the week. We look at the most popular posts in the Instagram feed from Simple Politics. Last week we recorded on the very day that Liz Trust resigned. So will that feature at all? I don't know. I'm going to pass over to Tatten. Well, uh, N at three is the man who is just really, really angry all the time. Uh, it's Keir Starmer. He really wants a general election. He really, 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 really wants a general election. That's what he wants. He, he's he got like a poster in his bedroom, I'm sure, that just has general election written on it. And he just kind of weeps himself to sleep. Uh, looking at it every night because there's nothing he can do. He can't force general election. The, the, unless unless conservative MPs rebel against the government and vote for a general election, there can't be one. And conservative MPs ain't going to do that. So there can't be a general election. So he can just, he can, he can stamp his little foot and say he wants a general election as much as he wants, but it's not going to happen. So we posted about that, and lots of other people said, yeah, general election now, and uh, they're also going to be disappointed. This tends to be a common comment on a lot of the posts you've had over the past couple of weeks, is, OMG, when's it going to be next general election? And I agree, with, I, I think in circumstances where things have become an omni-shambles, I feel that there should be some kind of accountability. But as you said, conservatives are in power. If they were to have a general election, they would almost certainly lose a lot of seats, if not the power, and they don't want to do that. So so it makes no sense to them, even though we'd like to think that people are acting in the best interests of the country. But hey, they want that, that and power. They are acting in the best. If you're a Conservative MP, you think the best interest of the country is the Conservative government. Yeah. So you're not going to risk putting in Labour. <laughs> they think we're going to ruin it. The, yeah. when, when they would obviously mess things up, as the, as the Conservatives would think, right? Mm. So it's not just being self-serving. It's thinking that, that you, you're, you're right. What other kind of comments have we had related to that? Is it just the standard election now, election now? Yeah, it's not It's not a massive range of comments. <laughs> Although Diane, Diane's going to take us into the second one because, because it's a bit, a bit different here. Nice. So in at number two, there's always a big story of the week, but it's nice when we get rid of variety and something else catches people's imagination. A report came out, which is uh, from the Health and Social Care Committee. And what what's... Um, nice about this is it's a quote that people could relate to a lot so it's about the experience of senior gp and basically they used you know kind of the language that struck with people which you don't always get in these kind of reports where they said it shouldn't be like calling an uber where you, you know you, you you see someone and then you never see them again basically they want gps to be relationship based because that gets better outcomes for the patient 
Now, this report is by a cross-party group of MPs, so it's not just from one party. This is from a, a load of MPs working together on this, and they've made a raft of recommendations, which now go to the government to kind of look at. And this isn't a dig at GPs. So in there, they, they say, specifically say, GPs are seeing more people than ever before, but with less staff. So it's not a dig at the GPs, it's just saying let's get back to that where you actually know your doctor and they can follow through with you and you've got that relationship. What I mean, what kind of comments were we getting from that? Because the main question for me is, is that feasible in, in this day and age? Yeah, I mean, the practicalities of it are certainly really interesting and budget, as you might imagine, it, a lot of it comes down to cost. But certainly it was super relatable. You know, that experience if you get when, um, you know, you, you actually need to contact somebody at a doctor's and you're going through that bit of reception trouble that people often get where you've got that gatekeeper kind of relationship with the doctors so people basically saying that that's been a a lot of their experience and where they have had good experiences because some people did in the comments it has been about their doctor taking the time to actually understand them and you know not having to read a full case notes before they come in because they know them and they know where they are So it seems like the ideal, yes, but if there's any way to get closer to that, I think it'd be very popular. Yeah, I think I I remember last last time I saw my my family GP when I was growing up, I'd seen him maybe like three times between the ages of like eight and 18. And then last time he said like, so how are you? How's your family doing? I was like, what? (laughs) I was kind of taken back by that, but also kind of buoyed by that as well, because, you know, one of my brothers had quite serious uh, health problems when growing up. So I think he he had that kind of mind to just check in. Uh, which I thought was really nice. On the on the flip side for me, sometimes when I need a doctor now, I'm just like, can I can I see someone, please? I, you know, I'm not so concerned about if they know anything about me. I just want to be able to get a quick diagnosis, get some get a blood test or whatever, and and get on my merry way kind of thing. And if that means waiting for two weeks to find someone I know, I'm not best pleased about that. So I can I can see it both sides. I don't know what about Tatum, I see you kind of nodding your head. I think that a lot of the time people have one off, oh, I'm feeling really rubbish. Can I come and see the doctor? And then they're like, yeah, there you go. And and, and maybe maybe you don't need that continuous GP care with that. I mean I'm I'm absolutely blessed because I am, you know, I'm totally mental and I go, you know, I'm like in the GP all the time. And uh I have a GP who knows me and cares about me. And who I see, you know, he lives around here, so I see him around and about, and we'll stop for a chat and whatever. And it's kind of the old old fashioned community. But with that kind of chronic illness that I've got, that's when that relationship's really crucial. If I saw someone different every time and had to bring them up to speed, then that would be really problematic. But this is a committee of MPs, and they're called select committees, and they choose to they stand for election to go on to each of these select committees and the select committee looks at an individual department over a long period of time getting loads of data in speaking to loads of people and puts together these reports and these reports are there to tell the government what it should be doing they're not binding in any way and Diane early you said that they, they were talking about uber and they're being very relatable they've got very good at it you always get these reports coming out on bank holiday mondays you when it's a quiet news day because they they're good at knowing how to get people to report on it how to how to find time to get it out so this is a come on we need to do this the government can completely ignore it and almost i mean almost certainly 
We'll we'll take it as advice and then just carry on. Let's go on to the top post. Uh, Tutton, take us away. I mean, this is all about the return of uh, Boris Johnson, which is something that uh, set the political world alight for about 48 hours. It, it was 26,000 likes on this one. It was just, it's th- this was the post when he said, yeah, I'm not going to run, actually. And, it's, you know, there's not much more to say about it. Like, people were like, oh, my gosh, really? And then and then he dropped out and went, oh, it's going to be Rishi and then no one really, no one was particularly interested after that because no one really thought Penny Morden. I mean, I think, I think Penny Morden thought she was in with a chance, but I don't. I think Penny Morden's mum was probably like, "Yeah, it's going to be Rishi in it." <laughs> so you're saying she wasn't even like an X Factor mum, where she, yeah, yeah, you've Jeffrey's got, it. got great you've talent. Got <laughs> He's a really good singer in his, in in the shower. <laughs> Always brings her so much pleasure. I mean, like who knows? Like she was. Do you know what? Actually, I thought she might get it if she could get to the members. I thought the I thought the members would vote him down again, and would vote for her, and then she couldn't get the numbers taken to the members. So there we go. As a bit of insider baseball, for whoever's listening, we did plan a separate um, catch up uh, to give us a state of the union where the where the where the PM race was. But when Boris Johnson dropped out, it was kind of a moot point, wasn't it? It was kind of like, well, let's not bother. Um, mm, yeah. So we, when this when this post came out, it was all all but done. I would have quite liked to have seen a race. With, with Bojo and Rishi, just to see what it's like. You know, why not? Unprecedented times. <laughs> oh, don't start that again. <laughs> I think that Rishi Sunak would, have, would be in a stronger position had there been a race. Mm. Yeah. I think the coronation vibe is a little uncomfortable for him. He's in quite a strong place already. He's got a solid backing in Parliament. He's got. We're going to talk about a few of these things later, so um, we can move on from that now. But yeah, he's, he, he, he's doing all right. Over to the second part of the podcast, The Mailbag. Over to you guys who are the readers and the listeners. What have you asked us this week? And we've even got some voice notes. So thank you very much. Watch out for the uh, for the post on the Simple Politics Instagram feed uh, so you can send your questions either via text or voice notes. It's really exciting actually hearing from readers of the page and actually hearing what they sound like. It's amazing. And um, we got um, a question from Michelle Rock on Instagram. What exactly does a minister without a portfolio do? Oh, 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 it's a politics nerd question. It's a it politics really nerd. Is. Can I do this one? Can I do and, this? Uh, you you go for it, Tatton. I, I right. basically, she could have just asked it directly to you there. What I would just recommend is I'm going to now do 10 minutes of politics nerdery. So if you'd uh, like to skip forward 10 minutes uh, on this podcast, uh, no, I'm not really, I'm going to be very brief. When you're setting up your cabinet, right? You're the prime minister. You can appoint anyone you want who's an MP or a member of the House of Lords to any position. And you go, right, I've got I've got health and I've got defense and I've got all these things and I've got all these people and I can put them into roles because that's where their strengths are. Or I can put them into roles because I need various. You've got to keep different parts of the party happy. So there's lots and lots of different rules. It's not like Sudoku, right? Trying to line everyone up to do the right thing. If you're like a manager putting together a football team. You've not, you know you've got a bit of flexibility on formation. We've got to have one goalkeeper and you know one number nine or whatever. And the minister without a portfolio is your way of getting an extra player on the team, right? You've got your eleven set formation, but there's this person who you really want but doesn't fit in. So bring them in as an extra, and they don't have to play in any particular role. So they will sit at a cabinet and debate and discuss and vote on issues. You get their brains in 
and they're a bit freer. They don't have to do any anything else, anything in particular. They just have to bring their brains, bring their debating skills, and be part of running the country. Ta-da! That's great, like a great answer. But Rishi has picked, so the Minister of Alert Portfolio that I think Michelle's probably wondering about what they did, what they would do. It's um, Gavin Williamson, isn't it, this time? Yeah, well, we've got two at the moment. Uh, we've got Duchy of Lancaster, who's Nadim Zahawi, who's also a Minister of Alert Portfolio, just with a, with a fancier name. Uh, and we've got uh, Gavin Williamson, who is an actual Minister of Alert Portfolio. There is some controversy about Gavin Williamson. We're not going to get into it now. The guy, the guy's been knocking about cabinet for a long time, <laughs> and it's just it's just about getting these people in the room. Is there anything to say to or you, Nadim Sahawi was briefly the chancellor? Is there something to say about look, we we know you've been exalted, you've been in a high place, and you, now you don't have that. We're going to give you something that's a bit more meaty. Is there is there some kind of um, no? No, I think I think if they just want, he knows what he's talking about. He's a he's a solid solid performer, and they want they want him on the team. I don't think it's a question of reward or or, or, or whatever. He at part of the conference described being chance just the ultimate summer job because he had it so briefly. <laughs> but no, he's just he's just a very well respected minister who just didn't fit anywhere on the pitch, you know. So just just give him that role. Okay. Second question is also a voice note, Diane. It is, yeah. So this one is from Golsa Juzi on Instagram. Hi there, Simple Politics team. I have a question. I am a mother of two. I have two toddlers and uh, I'm a stay-at-home mum. Uh, my husband's working full-time, two jobs, and it seems that the cost of li- living has gone up so much and we can't afford to have one person working for one with one job only, one one income. So he's having to do two jobs. I am considering jumping back into work also. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my children. And I just want to know, I mean, yes, everything's gone up in price, but what about wages? This is a great question, which is primarily about everything's going up. We knew that. We had a food price post this week that did outrageously well because... People recognise, you know, their shopping's going up, their their energy bills are going up. I, re- I really like that post, by the way. I, I really appreciate when when you guys post those things and give more kind of context to, you know, the, the difference between the price of mints going up versus tea and, and things like that. So, yeah, please please keep doing those. Cool. You know, there's a real pressure on on people's earnings as it is. And Gulls is making the point that with everything going up, the thing that doesn't seem to be going up is wages, which, as we know from ONS data, they are mostly actually in real terms going down wages. And look at the background of what we've got. That's why so many people are striking, isn't it, at the minute? That's kind of, you know, it's generally about, yes, some working conditions, but generally about pay, isn't it? In terms of what's happening with that, it's a really difficult question. There is obviously, you know, things like the, you know, the national minimum wage, Okay, that's the one where everyone is tied into. There's a national minimum wage that people are entitled to get for the work that they do. Okay, that's the one that is is set and tends to go up in April with the new financial year. And then there's also something called the 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 living wage, and that's um, an independent foundation who look at that and look at it in more real terms. What should people be getting paid and make recommendations that employers can then opt into. And that one is generally higher than the standard national minimum wage. 
But are there plans afoot to to actually look at wages? Well, there's individual discussions. You know, we talked about the strikes. There are negotiations going on if you're in a union or if you're being balloted at the minute or if you've got an offer on the table. But but bar that, it's it is down to individual businesses and and individual contracts to be looked at. I'm not sure there is going to be a massive change in the economic statement that's coming up on the 17th of November. But I could be wrong. Let's see. I know cost of living is something the government will be acutely aware of and want to make a big impact on. I'm not sure wages are are going to be the the thing that's in there at the minute. I, I would see more energy in winter and that kind of help coming out in November. We talked in last week. Tatton made the point about you know we're talking about the, the amount of strikes, people, are, companies on strike, uh, including the corn factory up north. It's fine to go and strike, isn't it? But like as we said last week, there's only so much money in the pot at the moment, and it's difficult to to distribute that to people. I love the eloquent point that Tatton made about nurses. I'd love to pay them a million pounds every day for the work that they do, <laughs> and you know I echo that. It's just going to be it's going to be tough for people. I'm not sure what the government can do. Hopefully they can pull something out, but then it affects other businesses. My mum used to own a, a, an independent shop and she could just about afford minimum wage and when that up, went up, you know, she had to let someone go because she couldn't pay their wages. You know, that person, I'm sure they would have liked to have stayed on for less than minimum wage just to make sure they had some money coming in every day. It's, it makes it super tough. It's a nightmare. Like the question, and Gulshia, I'm sorry that it's such a tough time for you. I mean, it's a tough time for a lot of people, but it's, you know, it's heartbreaking to hear, hear your children in the background. You know, when you're talking about, you know, these these are the people who for whom I live, really. Yeah, so I'm really sorry about that. Wages aren't set by the government. The minimum wages, that's a relatively new thing because it's a free market, right? In the free market before the before the minimum wage, you would offer three pounds an hour. And if someone wanted to take it, they would take it. And if no one wanted to take it, you'd have to up it to four pounds an hour. And then if someone wanted to take the job, then that's a deal between you, the employer and the employee, and no one else involved. And then uh, the government brought in the minimum wage to um, to stop that. And the Conservatives at the time were really against the minimum wage because they said it would bring about unemployment, because they said that people wouldn't be able to afford the minimum wage and so they wouldn't employ people at all. And they, um, they, had, they had a very small... Uh, opposition party at the time the Labour Party had all the votes and so they tried every trick in the book to stop it they were calling surprise votes at 3am because the house used to sit all night uh, and so they would they would push things into the middle of the night and then call a surprise vote hoping that Labour MPs would be in bed or would be somewhere else they used all the tricks to try to stop the minimum wage being a thing but they would now admit they now say no it's the right thing to do because we do progress, we do change. They now call it the national living wage, and it's nine. It's now nine pounds fifty an hour, which which is a lot bigger than it was. I mean, it's not going up out of the inflation. So the minimum wage is is there, and it's there to support people. But the government aren't going to intervene on private sector wages, and they're going to try to hold public sector wages down as low as the striking workers will let them because there isn't that much money. And also there's a thing, and I'm, I'm talking a lot about that, but there's this thing about inflation. If everyone gets a 10% pay rise, then all the businesses have to put prices up and then prices go up more. And so you get more inflation. Who'd want to be a politician? <laughs> Who'd, no, like, it's, just, it's just rubbish because we should all be able to afford stuff. If we work hard, 
I mean, you know, some would say if you don't work hard, we should, you should still be able to afford basics, right? But we should be able to do things that we like and buy things that we like, not just things that we need. And especially if Goshen's, you know, partner's working two jobs. So I'm sorry, I'm, I've got no answers here, except that, yeah, that the government aren't going to do anything about wages. So that's the answer. The question was, what are the government going to do about wages? And the answer is nothing. Final question. We have a, we have a written question from Laura Ellil. I want to really know why politicians don't go through an interview process to be offered a job. Was this the question that was held over from last week? That was asked to Jeremy Vine. And we're going to do the effort of answering in, in Jeremy Vine's stead. Yeah, I mean, it's this. This is about this is about democracy, isn't it? And there is there is a an interview process. I mean, who would appoint? Who would who would offer someone a job? I mean, it's the people. We, the people, will vote, right? At come election time, there are hustings events, and the MPs have to go out and meet people and talk to people, and you can go and ask them a question, and then you decide how to cast your vote. And if you want to vote on a national issue, you can stick on the telly, and any minute on the telly, you'll see one of the leaders doing their things and making promises. And so you make the most informed decision that you possibly can, and you offer them a job. But obviously there's lots of other people offering them jobs, so you might the person you want might not get in, but that is the interview process. Anything else would be giving some people more of a say. So it's like an extreme panel interview. Yeah. Candidate comes in and there's anywhere between, you know, 100,000 to a million people in that local area you've got to convince is where you're worthy of the job. Yeah. I did used to work in recruitment though. And the one thing, the one, like, the one thing that I would say is we used to have, do you remember, you'll have this for all interviews you've ever been to, competency-based interviewing. Okay. So this is, this is the thing that I would change because there is a lot of promises, as you say, Tatton, there's a lot of, I will deliver this and I can make this change and da, da, da. And there's probably not so much on, let's look at your track record. What, what you know, tell me when you did that before. <laughs> and, and I think that's where I'd get a little bit more meat in there if I was doing the hustings. Yes. I, su I suspect that's where Laura Ellil uh, was probably getting us. Like what, what, on what basis should we be giving these guys the jobs? But listen, I've um, I've run hustings events in you know in front in packed churches because I mean I live in Whitstable. We're all very politically engaged in Whitstable, so so at election time everyone piles in. And I've asked these questions. I've asked the the panel these exact questions. It's up to we the electorate to put in place the questions and the hoops that we want to put in place. And we also have to accept that, you know, I, in this packed church in Whitstable in 2019, was definitely asking about past competencies and that kind of thing. Everyone in the church probably already knew who they're going to vote for because they're politically engaged. So probably none of them changed their minds, even though it was a great session and remarkably well hosted, I should say. <laughs> probably no one changed their minds. And then the people who might change their minds didn't hear any of the questions because they weren't at the event, probably wouldn't read the local newspaper write-up of it. So getting the interview process to be done by everyone is really, really hard because there's, you know, the, the average vote is 50,000 50, maybe in a constituency. So that's a lot of people to keep on board with everything. And the most politically engaged who do keep on board already have a team they vote for. Okay, so next section, uh, PM Watch. Well, what can we say? We have a new one, uh, which we didn't expect, as we talked about earlier on. Um, Rishi took the reins on Tuesday, but how, 
you know, two days later, how well's it going for him? Uh, <laughs> He's doing all right. He's doing all right. You know, a lot of support PMQs. I mean, let's let's not be the, the, the biggest story about next week in the PM is the, is what's not happening. We're expecting an economic statement. We're not going to get it. So instead, the PM's going to carry on saying, wait for the economic statement in November, and we will get Keir Starmer talking about ghostly stuff on Halloween, the spectre of government, I'd imagine. That kind of baloney, the pumpkin carving of a democracy. He's he's fairly eloquent, uh, Keir. The PMQs wasn't as entertaining as the previous one with Liz Truss, where he he had this hype crew behind him. Shouting gone. We're talking about the, the um, cabinet uh, reshuffle. Suella Braverman's back in place, which is interesting. <laughs> Any thoughts on that, guys? The, the, pro- the problem Labour have with the Suella Braverman thing is that she resigned because of a ministerial code breach with Liz Truss. And what Labour did at that point was attack that and say, it wasn't a ministerial code breach. It's all about chaos and the Liz Truss government because Liz Truss and her couldn't agree on migration. Oh, it's all policy. Stop pretending it's a ministerial code thing. And then now she's been reappointed. Labour is shouting, she broke the ministerial code. She resigned because of the ministerial code. It's the ministerial code. It was never a policy problem. She's a terrible person. And it's quite hard having attacked her for one thing to then flip, reverse it and attack her for another. So what else do we have in PM Watch this week? One of the things that Rishi has done, which again is just kind of reversing Liz Truss's legacy, is he went back on her legacy. Her, 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 legacy. Her, her, <laughs> yeah. um, he went back on her decision to have another look at fracking, and he said, "No, we're not going to do that. The moratorium still stands that was in the 2019 manifesto, and I'm going to say, no, we're not. We're not going to look at fracking." He's got to hold on to that manifesto with all oh, his no. might. Because that manifesto is what was voted on. And so he's got to go, nope, we're doing a 20. We expect to hear PM Watch, expect to hear. Do you know what? I'm going to move on to the crystal ball right now. I'm going to move on to my predictions for the week. And it's not just my prediction for the week. It's my prediction for the next two years. My prediction for the next two years is we're going to hear the words 2019 manifesto said again and again and again by everyone in this (laughs) government to try to show that they're doing what the Conservatives voted in on, and that's why they can't have a general election. Fair play. Well, Crystal Ball, we're here now. Diane? Yeah, the only other one, I know, I know we, we briefly passed over Boris Johnson in the, in, in the post, but we will hear more on that because the party gates, the Privilege Committee stuff starts in November, and it's November next week. So we will be hearing more on that. It's not the political story we really want to be in the news or, or be making headlines. But Hang on, Diane, shut up, shut up. Did yeah. you say it's November next week? Yeah. Yeah. There's no way it's November next week. It is, promise. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I know. This is your crystal ball coming in here telling me it's nearly the end of 2022. <laughs> I know. Unbelievable. I know. Consulted my calendar. <laughs> well, guys, we'll stay tuned to see if those crystal balls do come true. And that's it for today. Please do pay attention to the Instagram feed because we will ask for your your feedback, uh, your comments, which are always great to see, of course. And now we want to hear your voices. Uh, we do like hearing them. Thank you very much, everyone. See you later. Enjoy the 2019 manifesto. (laughs) Bye. Bye.